0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute.
1: We are all very familiar with the necessity for instruction and training when it comes to athletics. Very few people expect that someone will become a champion athlete just because he wants to. Dedicated training, sometimes for years, is what is required to compete well and succeed. That said, I'm not sure people understand that the same process is involved when it comes to building spiritual or biblical muscles in order to withstand the slings and arrows that are directed to those who are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. My guest today is a professional athlete, Amy Olson who comes from a Christian family, was homeschooled through high school, attended college on a golf scholarship, and in the process broke a number of collegiate records, and has for the past 10 years been a member of the Ladies Professional Golf Association, also referred to as the LPGA. Now, if you are not an aficionado of golf, chances are you never heard of Amy. But that doesn't mean she did not prioritize being a faithful witness for her faith In the arena, Jesus Christ placed her. Recently, she made national news as a result of not hiding her light under a bushel. Thanks for joining me today, Amy. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So before we get into the meat of how to develop spiritual muscles, tell my listeners a bit about the circumstances that resulted in the current controversy.
0: Well, I was interviewed recently. I was interviewed by a number of publications because I qualified for the U.S. Open, U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach at six months pregnant and played in it at seven months pregnant. So leading up to that event, I garnered a lot of national media attention and was celebrated for, you know, being able to play and carrying this child while still competing In fact, I had an interview on Golf Channel where they said instead of 156 players in the field this year, there's going to be 157. And so I really appreciated that. I've been very you know, outspoken about my faith. I've been outspoken on just the pro-life issue in general and just making sure that whenever that issue is talked about, we remember there's two people involved in the conversation. There's the mother and there's the baby. And so it was really special for me to go through that experience. And have the world celebrate the fact that I was playing while pregnant and recognizing that that was a life inside of me. And one of the reasons that it was, I I guess, stood out to me was because just over a year ago, I was playing in a national championship outside of Washington, D.C. when Roe versus Wade got overturned. And if you remember that time, many people, and particularly in women's athletics, were outraged. You know, because it was, it's always portrayed as a woman's choice and that woman's choice is being taken away from her was really what the media was kind of talking about and the baby's never mentioned. So I did an interview about a month ago with a writer and I just mentioned that I appreciated that this year everyone was celebrating that life inside of me. Because a year ago at the major championship I played in, no one wanted to talk about the baby. And that to me was really I- ironic. I lived through both of those experiences and it was, it was just an interesting contrast. So I mentioned that in my interview. That interview, which was with Global Golf Post never got published because when the writer submitted it, the staffers, and I don't know exactly, you know, where it got caught up, but they were very frustrated. They were very angry. And they put a lot of pressure on the way I understand it, the editors to not publish this piece. So it never made it anywhere. And the fact that the writer asked, why didn't this get published? And he was specifically told that if he removed my abortion and Christian views, it would run. And this writer quit on the spot because he said that's not journalistic integrity. He was particularly offended by the fact that they mentioned that my Christian views couldn't be shared. And so anyway, the fact that the story didn't run, he quit, you know, on a matter of principle of trying to uphold journalistic integrity, that had has made
1: some national news in the last um, week or two. So let's just be clear, as a Christian in any profession whether you are in law, whether you're in medicine, or in your case, in professional athletics, you're always going to have opportunities to hide, to just be quiet, or to be who you are, not seek out fights with people, but when asked a question, like the Bible says, give a reason for the hope that's within you, that you speak the truth. What do your colleagues, fellow women golfers have to say about this? Have they come to your support or are they mostly, you shouldn't talk about those things, Amy? You know, better.
0: Truthfully, I haven't heard much from my colleagues. You know, a couple of my closest friends have been very vocal and very supportive, um, even on social media. And I've, I've appreciated that, you know, that's not the reason I do it, but it is, it is so nice to have people that stand up and defend. You know, and you would have your back when you do take a stand like this. But for the most part, it's honestly been
1: quite quiet from my colleagues. Interesting. In one of the articles that I read about this, you went on to say that you didn't participate as a seven-month pregnant woman because you were trying to show how tough you are, or that you were trying to push this perspective on the irony of the two situations spread apart by a year. But you've always had a lot of respect for women who get pregnant and have to continue to work. And so you really didn't consider yourself that special for what you were doing, did you?
0: No, I mean, you know, golf is kind of what I've done my whole life This is the first time I've ever been pregnant. And my goal was just to be able to play as long as, you know, I was physically able to. And at six months, Pregnant, I qualified for the open. So I'd, I'd rightfully earned my spot and I was really looking forward to competing just on one of the greatest golf courses in the world at arguably the premier golf tournament in the world for women. And so, I mean, that was my driving motivation. And, you know, the fact that I was pregnant was kind of it to me secondary. I'm, I'm kind of a competitor, you know, first and If I can compete, I wanted to play. And it was just, it made it extra special. The fact that I was pregnant, I think.
1: So my listeners should know that this isn't the first time you and I have ever spoken with each other. I met you first in 2009, the year you happened to win the USGA girls junior championship. And of course, because I found out you were homeschooled, it was a natural inclination of mine to get in touch with you. And your mom and I have talked. We've met each other in person a couple of times. And since you became a pro, we've gone out and watched you play. But golf aside, which, as I said earlier, took years of training and practice, what about the spiritual muscles, the biblical muscles that you developed? How did that happen? And give a little bit of perspective on how much of this, your family life, your homeschooling life had to do with it.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, that's a huge question I'm trying to even reflect on. I wish my parents actually were on this and could give some insight onto some of the things that they did. I'm going to give my perspective, but they could probably give so much more. You know, I was very, very young when I first heard the gospel. And I remember being maybe six or seven years old and hearing that all liars, you know, deserve hell and will go to hell. And I'm sitting here going all liars. Like I just told my mom that I cleaned my room and I actually just stuffed all my clothes under my bed. You know, <laughs> And that didn't seem like that big of a deal, but it doesn't say some, it says all. And I remember just like intense conviction at a very young age of the fact that I was a sinner and I was guilty before God and I couldn't do enough good works in order to remedy that. And so, you know, coming from that perspective, when I heard that Jesus had lived the perfect life, died in my place and offers this free gift of salvation, I accepted it. I had a tender heart. I accepted it at maybe six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in there. And so I remember, you know, my parents were very faithful in preaching that gospel message to my brother and I when we were young. We read the Bible as a family. We did family devotions. I remember memorizing scripture on a weekly basis. And I even think, (laughs) I remember those verses that I learned really young, way better than the ones that I'm trying to memorize now. You know, it seems like it's just harder to memorize as you get older. And that's true, like what you knew and learned as a child, it stays with you. You know, my early years was just a very simple, pure faith. And as I grew older, I always describe my kind of like teen years as more of a questioning period of time. I was always very inquisitive. I loved intellectual arguments. And as I encountered, you know, more people in the world, you know, my, my world was expanded. There were different times that I would think, well, am I only a Christian? Cause I'm raised in America. What if I had been raised in India? Would I be Hindu? Like, am I a Christian because that's all I know or because it's the truth? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I so appreciate about my parents is they never shied away from those questions and they never shamed me for asking. In fact, they encouraged it and helped lead me to resources because they really believed that the truth can stand any test. And so as long as you're asking genuinely and you're looking for the truth, you will find it. And so I really appreciated my parents supporting me in that journey. And it was everything from, you know, what do the other religions believe? Why is the Bible, these 66 books that got put together. Like, why do we believe those are special? And I delved, I just delved into every single doubt that I had. And I emerged from that. And this was before I entered college. I emerged from that period of time, so convinced that the Bible was true, that Jesus was a real person who walked this earth, lived a perfect life, died and rose again. And... So I I really emerged from that grounded in not only what I believed, but why I believed it.
1: So do you know, or did you ask, I'm sure you know now, but did you ask along the way, mom, dad, why are we homeschooling? Why, why don't I go to school like other people? <laughs> we had so many
0: conversations about that. Growing up, I remember the one thing I really wanted to do was ride the bus, the big yellow bus. It was so exciting when it came through our neighborhood. This was probably at like seven years old. Uh-huh. And, you know, all the other kids got to get on this big yellow bus, and, you know, Nathan and I didn't. And now, you know, and talking to my friends at this point, they're like, the bus was the worst part riding on there. And, but it's funny what attracts you as a kid. And we had lots of conversations as a family. In fact, I remember at one point, cause my, we, we went through rough times, especially. I remember my mom, you know, at one point she was crying. She called dad. Dad had to come home and discipline us because she was just at her wits end. And there were times where it was straining on the relationship between my mom and us. And there was one point where they actually, I don't know if they truly gave us the choice, but I remember it being a very significant discussion. Of should we go to public school? Because is this going to actually hurt the relationship? And I remember thinking, actually, no, I I don't
1: want to. Like I, and so I think that kind of whipped us into shape. Maybe mm-hmm. I think it's easy to think that homeschooling is this panacea. It's work. It's work for the oh, students. Yeah. It's work for the parents. However, it seems to me from what you're saying and what I know about your parents that they had a vision that transcended the periods of discomfort or the periods of frustration. Do you know what it is about them that made them make the decision to homeschool?
0: I know that they felt an intense responsibility for what my brother and I were not only exposed to, but taught. And they felt like, the best way to fulfill that responsibility was to do it themselves, and I know in and looking back, my mom talks a lot about, yes, the academics that's a part of homeschooling, but her primary focus was our character, and so instilling their values and also the the character qualities that are praised and uplifted in the Bible. That was the primary reason they homeschooled was to be able to instill those. And then the academics and what we actually learned from an intellectual standpoint was definitely secondary.
1: But enough so that both you and your brothers successfully made it through college. It wasn't that you got (laughs) to college and they were like, oh boy, these two don't know anything. As a matter of fact, your pace was very accelerated.
0: Right. I, you know, my brother's a year and a half older than me, and by watching him at a young age learn his sounds and kind of go through the reading process, I just picked up a book and started reading to mom. And so she was like, well, I guess we don't need to do that again. So she put <laughs> my brother and I together and held me back one year in math, and then a year later, I was ready to like do two years of math and catch up because I really didn't like being behind my brother and I ended up graduating at sixteen, turned seventeen that summer, and then entered college um, at seventeen. So I was pretty young for graduating and entering college, but not that I put a whole lot of stock in a GPA or anything like that. I did get one B in college, a three point nine seven GPA. My brother did not get a single B; it was all A's.
1: Oh wow! So you know, There's I mean, the competition. We're not
0: competitive at all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But something I'd like you to comment on, because it'd be easy to think, okay, there were never challenges along the way where you had to stand for what you believed. And I remember one story your mom told me that back when you won the USGA girls, colleges that had paid no attention to you, you were just this girl in North Dakota, right? Now suddenly we're coming to you, offering you full ride scholarships and this and that. But because your family unit was a tight unit, the thought of going away from your parents, from your brother who had been your buddy, best friend, schoolmate all the way through was not something that was appealing. And I'm sure a lot of people scratched their heads because, you know, universities like Stanford, there were probably others were making these offers. But I do believe that you thought you chose the better path.
0: Well, it was the right path for me. You know, and I think a part of that was the fact that I was young, graduating. You know, I just turned seventeen, and there was, yeah, there's just an element of protection and and tightness that uh, that my family had that I wasn't ready to leave yet. Would I have been okay? I don't know. I'm, you know, the Lord would have provided, but. I We certainly didn't have peace about me moving across the country at that point in time. And most of the decisions that my family made and continue to make are really based on prayer, seeking the Lord's will, and then seeking His peace. And that was really how that decision was made. Looking back, I can see so many ways that the Lord was working and how He used that. And and I think sometimes we we put so much emphasis on what decision is made and not necessarily how a decision is made. And Mm -hmm. I think that process of prayer and seeking the Lord's will is so important. And it's important for kids to see their parents do that. And not just what decision they come to, but how they come to decisions.
1: So I do know that if someone is familiar with golf, North dakota is not the climate that is conducive to year-round golf and the whole idea of well how can you be a successful golfer from north dakota but because your priorities were as you've outlined them it didn't seem to hold you back because going to a north dakota university you ended up breaking a lot of women's records in college And to me, it's just a good example of when you're faithful, you're blessed. Is that how you look at it? Yeah. I mean, you
0: said it perfectly. The goal was actually not to be the world's best golfer or to like, that wasn't the primary goal. The primary goal has always been to glorify and honor God. And so there's a lot of different ways. We all have different skills. We have different abilities where that plays out. But for me at that time, that was NDSU and staying close to home, staying close to my family, my golf coach, all of that. That was the right decision for me. And being the best golfer possible was not the ultimate goal. And so, I mean, it ended up working out quite well. And But that wasn't the intention. It was something that I do feel like the Lord just blessed obedience and faithfulness.
1: Our culture loves to put athletes on a pedestal. As a result of that, some who get put on a pedestal who don't have good character or the kind of support and upbringing you had fall from that pedestal. Was it hard, or well, I should put it this way, is it harder to deal with praise than it is to deal with criticism?
0: Um Both are difficult. And I think that really depends on the person. I actually um, went through a book with a friend of mine, and they talked about the test of adversity and then the test of prosperity, which is a little bit similar. And we all want that test of prosperity. That's the one we want to go through. Often, we go through the test of adversity you know, a lot more. I've been through both criticism and praise. And I will say that by nature, I am a people pleaser. That is my fallen sinful nature that desires the praise of man and you know galatians i think it's galatians 1:10 that talks about if i were still living for the approval of people i wouldn't be a servant of jesus christ and that has always been a grounding verse for me because my flesh and my like desire is to get the praise of people and i actually don't know how to diminish that desire i only know how to seek The praise of God more. That is to me how you make the praise and the approval of people smaller is by caring more about what God thinks Mm -hmm. and placing emphasis and priority on that. So for me, that has been the bigger struggle and where my pride will come up. And I've had to battle that a lot more than I've had to battle through criticism. There have been plenty of times where I've been criticized. And I will say that it really depends who it comes from and it depends what the grounds for it are. When it is valid, it's really painful for me because that is a blow to my pride. But when it's, you know, not based on something that is something that I value or the Lord values, I've been able to focus on what God says matters rather than what people say matters.
1: Sure. We're told, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Not That's not where it ends. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Right. So, if you do something that is contrary to the word of God, rebuke, um, penalty, those are things that we would expect to have happen. But when you're standing for truth and you get criticized, it doesn't mean that the arrow doesn't hurt. It just means that you are looking at the fact that Jesus says, you'll be blessed for this, that ultimately there's the reward. Absolutely. So I'm wondering if when you made the decision to go into professional golf. Now, it probably seemed like a natural next step given your talent, given your successes, etc. Were there people specifically believers who told you, "No, no, no, you shouldn't go there. That's enemy territory. That's no place for a Christian." Or did most people encourage you and say, "This is exactly where we want Christians."
0: I would say I actually had a lot of encouragement. Uh, I had a really solid church that I I grew up in and was in when I kind of made that transition to professional golf. And I felt like everyone was very supportive and there was kind of a, I don't know if it was specifically said, but at least I kind of felt that everyone believed that God has called Christians into all areas. And, you know, you have different desires and gifts. And the important thing is that you use them in whatever field you're in, not necessarily going into a particular field. So I never felt, I would say, um, you know, judged or condemned for going into something which does garner a lot of worldly attention and it is dangerous. There's definitely a lot of danger there. From my recollection, it was much more support and use your gifts and your abilities and your platform to glorify and honor him wherever that is.
1: Now it's easy. And this happens to people all the time. Oh, college is going to be great. They get to college and it's like, wow, I'm lonely. This isn't what I thought it would be. And I imagine it's the same for any profession, but especially now that you get into a professional golf association where people have been there for a lot of years, they have succeeded. You're the new person on the block. Do you take your time to acclimate and decide I got to figure out who I can trust here because the scripture does say don't cast your pearls before swine. So what was that process like as you got your feet wet and tried to figure out how I could be the best ambassador where I am? I mean, I look back on my rookie year
0: on tour and it's just like drinking from a fire hose from so many different components because just from like your daily life and the logistics of it, You go from college where everything's planned out, you know exactly what time you have to show up to class, you know what time practice is for any of our competitions and golf trips, van leaves at this time, plane leaves at this time. Everything's decided for you. The schedule is set. And all of a sudden you turn pro and you're completely your own boss. You have to book your travel. You have to find sponsors. You have to decide if you're going to hire an agent or not. All of these decisions and like the day-to-day is on you. Nobody tells you what you're supposed to do and when you're supposed to do it. So I just look at like my first few tournaments. They're in the Bahamas, then they're in Australia, and then you come back to the U.S. for a little bit. Not only that, but you're competing week in and week out for four days out of the week instead of a two-day college event or a three-day college event. And then having like two weeks off in between tournaments, Uh, you know, on tour, you're just going Monday's your travel day, Tuesday, practice Wednesday, pro am compete Thursday through Sunday, repeat. So from a schedule standpoint, it's so busy. It's so overwhelming because you're having to learn all of these new skills outside of just golf. And the last thing you're really thinking is how am I going to be an ambassador and make a huge difference out here? You just don't even have the capacity. And I think the things that really helped me were the daily discipline of spending time in the word and prayer. And no matter how busy things were, no matter what kind of was going on around me, that was kind of how I would just start my day. And I also, had chosen to put a Bible verse on my golf bag. And it was just, I think it was the Bible verse, be still and know that I'm God. Mm-hmm. And it was more for just my own reminder during that time. But another player saw that Bible verse on my bag, came up to me and was like, Hey, we have a group of us that meet on Wednesday nights to study the Bible. Would you like to join us? And this was maybe like the second tournament I played. So it was very early. And that was really where I connected with some of the other believers on tour who became my closest friends over the next however many years. And I was so appreciative of that connection and, yeah, and just how the Lord kind of provided. I think one of the things that I look back on in my life at God's faithfulness has been how he has provided other believers routinely and consistently and they've been different believers you know whether it was when we were being homeschooled a couple friends that were my age that were you know growing in their faith at the same time to then a a teammate in college who made a huge impact on me and then on tour people come and go because you lose your status everything's kind of year by year so I've had a number of friends over the years who have been maybe my best friend over that year or travel buddy. And the Lord has just continually provided people to be able to encourage and to pour into, um, you know, the, I think Proverbs 27, 17 says, you know, as um, iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Mm -hmm. And I've had that over and over and over. And to me, that's just like a consistent, that's a testimony of God's faithfulness.
1: Okay, so. Assuming that some of the people who are listening are either homeschool students or homeschool parents, you you don't want to keep the flower in the greenhouse forever, right? The greenhouse is there to grow the plant, but then eventually it leaves the greenhouse. How would you encourage both groups, students and parents at this point in determining first and foremost what God may be calling you to do, and then the things that you think are important? That as you proceed along that path, the kind of support structures that you should have in place. You
0: know, it's uh, that's that's a tough question to answer. I mean, for me, even my desires and passions have changed over the years, and I would have never dreamed, you know, some of the opportunities that may came to me, and it may have been through golf, or it may have been through through other things, and. I would say one of the most important things as far as determining like what to invest your time in, what to pursue, I've always found that having, I mean, certainly spending time in prayer and having other counselors and, and godly influences around that you can go to and ask for advice, present the situation that they're not quite as tied emotionally to this opportunity or to that opportunity. I have found that to be extremely important. My parents have definitely been that. But I've had other friends and, you know, pastor, like a pastor or a mentor who I've been able to, like, talk through some of those decisions with. If I can also, you kind of triggered a thought for me as far as I just remember being being homeschooled. And I know my parents, one of their desires was to shelter from, you know, ungodly influences, particularly at a young age. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things they you know they did very well was they did shelter. You know, once we got into golf and we were out on the golf course, you know, on a kind of away from their eyes and you make friends that are not believers, there's plenty that you're exposed to at a young age. And I think that is also, you know, not that you're like seeking that out, but it just is there. And I think there's a certain point where, as parents, you have to release and, and realize, like, I don't have control over their environment 24-7, but to maintain conversations, and I know one of the things that my, my parents did as we were preparing to go to college, I mean, they started this at maybe like 12, 13, 14 years old, but we would read books. I remember one called Fish Out of Water, and it was just like, here's what's happening in universities. This is what's being taught. This is what's being pushed. And here's kind of a Christian response to it. So not to shy away from what is out there, but to try to provide it in a way that is also surrounded by biblical truth. And I felt like that. And honestly, like once I got to college, I was like, oh, this isn't nearly as overt as the book made it seem like it was going to be. But of course, I mean, now things have changed. And I'm sure it is like that in many different classes in many different universities, but my parents actually sought out opportunities to talk about the way the world operates and what is out there. Right. And then to try to have that conversation from a biblical perspective.
1: Right. And I think that's part and parcel of stewarding the children God gave them because we're, as parents, we're not always going to be around. And the interesting part about young people is I can't wait to get out from under my parents control. Some people say that doesn't sound like you did. But to realize what a support structure it is, why wouldn't you want people who you could go to and say, I'm running into this and I don't really know what to do. So from my perspective, Amy, I tell any Christian young man or young woman who's going into higher education to find and establish relationship with mentors who can say, okay, yes. That isn't as important as this. Put your attention here so that you do have the benefit of older men and older women helping you maneuver through that journey.
0: No question, and those those people are invaluable, and also, I would say there's more of them than you think, but they need to be sought out and pursued because I think there's many older people who would love to have that influence and that relationship with a younger person but Out of humility, they're not going to be like, Hey, I can really help you in this. (laughs) You know, I mean, you just think about like the people that you run into in church and you pass and you say hello to and you know, they they might have some gray hair and they earned that gray hair through some experience. And I think for a young person to approach an older person and just say, Hey, would you be willing to meet for coffee or, you know, do a, a Bible study together or something? When you initiate that relationship, It's such a blessing to both. And you have so much to be gained as a young person from someone who has walked faithfully with the Lord for so many years.
1: Yes. Let's wrap this up. But the final thing I want to discuss is it would be foolish to think that in golf, just doing what you have to do in golf, that sometimes you're in terrible situations, you're not playing well, you're behind a tree. People have come out to watch you and you're not necessarily shining the way you want to. (laughs) So I, I know that's probably true no matter what somebody spends their time with. So the tendency is to give up. The tendency, I imagine, is to say, well, this isn't very important. I don't have to give it my best right now. Do you find that when questions of faith or principle that you encounter, that sometimes your first response is, you know what? I should just be quiet (laughs) because there'll be a whole lot less trouble if I'm quiet. And then how do you work through that to say, no, I'm called to do something different?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, I'll be the first to admit I've stayed quiet on a lot of different issues and, you know, maybe opportunities that I've had to to speak out or to speak about my faith in a situation. I will say, I, I think when there has been an opportunity to speak about my faith, that to me is something that I, I want to take and I've actively tried to. And if I maybe had a particularly poor day and my attitude wasn't great or whatever, I point to the fact that that's the whole reason I need Jesus. You know, I think so often as Christians, we, we can try to be perfect or pretend that we're perfect and that's not what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has fallen, a sinner, and forgiven. And so I think the more that we are honest about our own faults and failures, the more Jesus is glorified and more pe- people see him instead of us. So that's always been my goal is if I do fall, if I do sin in public, whatever it is, it's an opportunity to be humble, to repent, and to point people to Jesus instead of to me.
1: And that's something that when we talked prior to this, you mentioned that you always want to make sure that when you do speak out, you're not speaking out on Amy's opinion on this, that if you're going to be vocal, you want to make your stance something where you're standing on the rock.
0: Oh, absolutely. So I, (laughs) Dave Ramsey, who I love to listen to, says, um, I'm an expert on my opinion (laughs) and I have, I do happen to be an expert on my opinion. I have opinions on lots of things and some of them are based in the Bible and some of the the things are, you know, issues that the Bible has nothing to say about. And so if it is going to be, you know, a controversial issue or something that I'm going to, you know, take a fall for, it could be a hill that I might die on. I want to make sure that that hill is something that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt is true. And the only, th- the only opinions that I have that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt are true are the ones that are based in God's word. And so to me, that is the guiding principle. I will also say, how do you know what's in God's word if you haven't spent time there? And so, you know, when these opportunities come to speak out on certain issues or when you're kind of in the battle it's too late to prepare you have to prepare in the quiet moments you have to spend time alone with god in his word and be transformed by the renewing of your mind because then you can test and approve what his 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 will is his good pleasing and perfect will and if you haven't spent that time being immersed in scripture you won't know is this my opinion or is this what god has declared to be true
1: very good Well, congratulations. You're already a mother. Even the LPGA acknowledged (laughs) you were already a mother carrying around another little person. I trust that this is a whole new adventure. Things that golf probably in its own strange way is preparing you for. It'll definitely be a challenge
0: and golf has, golf has always been a challenge. So I guess in some ways that perseverance will prepare you for motherhood in a, in a sense, but certainly going to be a lot of learning going forward.
1: Right. One last question. A lot of times when people have pursued a certain thing from the time they're young, they'll say, oh, I'm just going to tell my children, no, I don't want them to pursue an athletic endeavor or a concentration. Is that how you feel? Because I know your husband's involved in athletics as well.
0: Right. I honestly think there's so much to be gained through the avenue of sport and gained as far as character because whether you go on to you know play and compete at whatever level the character that it takes to to work to be diligent to show up to go through failures and successes it is like one of the best refining processes and so I definitely want my kids to whether it's that or it's music or it's something else I do want them to pursue something wholeheartedly and have to figure out how to love something without loving it more than the Lord Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: it not becoming an idol. That's going to always be, I mean, that's something that I struggled with for years of making golf an an idol that I just worshiped and success something that I worshiped. And the Lord through lots of painful experiences has certainly diminished that and, and stripped that from me. And it was painful but at the same time, I would rather learn it on the golf course than in some more other, you know, other aspects of life. So he certainly used it as a tool to refine me. And I can't say that I'm like, oh, my kids have to play golf or they have to play football. But I do want them to wholeheartedly
1: pursue something and allow the Lord to use that to refine them. So the striving for excellence, and it sounds that your parents were very wise in having a training regimen for the Christian life that allowed you to encounter adversity and not give up. So a shout out to your parents there. Definitely. (laughs) All right. Let's say there's some golfers listening and they want to follow your career. Obviously you're on hiatus. You're going to deliver a baby soon and probably take some maternity leave. How would they follow you if they were so interested?
0: I'm most active on Instagram, Amy Olson Golf, and then the same handle on Twitter.
1: Okay. And what's that handle again? Amy Olson Golf. Amy Olson Golf. Very good. Well, Amy, thanks. It's nice to connect with you again. And I know that this conversation will be encouraging to both homeschooling parents and students.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Out of the Question podcast at gmail.com is how you get a hold of me and we'll talk to you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.